Misty, come on up. I want to introduce you guys. Um, if you haven't been here last week, this is the first time you'll hear Jim and Misty speak. Hi, friends. Um, I just wanted you guys, I just wanted to do a quick introduction. Um, I met Misty while well, she was my daughter's choir teacher. I was, long time ago. I sing just like her. I bet you do. <laughs> I want to hear it. You didn't have my son. I sing oh, like him. Okay. We sing, yeah. She sings like her father. So um, she had a great voice. Uh, she still does. Hi, Haley. She's probably watching in the um, live stream. If you're watching on the live stream or this is new to you today, we, uh, Chris mentioned it. I just want to mention it one more time. I don't want to give a huge caveat, but the message is a m mature message today. It's about sex. And um, I'm going to stand right between you guys. Have a Okay. Breath. That sounds good. And um, I wanted just to say one more time that these guys are awesome. They're not therapists um, yet or pastors, but they're ministers. They're, they're ministering to us through their story. And everyone has a story. And I will just say this, that it's really difficult for pastors to talk about sex with people because they don't want to talk about sex with pastors. It gets really shame-filled, and it gets really difficult for them. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for us to break. And also, if any of you have been through the same story as these guys have, sometimes you don't want to tell it to the whole, your whole church. Um, not that you should have a problem with that, but these guys are really brave in being able to share their story. So the, I know that it's difficult to give that an applause or to think about that, but it is really a vulnerable place to be. Let me also tell you that God cares about sex. Yes. <laughs> he cares very Amen. deeply about your relationships. Yep. He created it, he, not just for procreation, but for your pleasure and for fun. Yep. And uh, it doesn't matter where you are in your marriages or your relationships. He cares very deeply about how you're connecting with other people. Yep. And um, it all ties in to how we are able to attach to God because it's about being vulnerable and all those things. So I won't do a second sermon, but remember the children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have children and other folks that maybe are more mature, not, they're, they're not wild, you guys. They're not, it's going to be fine. So yeah, I'll turn it over to them now. All right. So thank you so much for having us again. Um, so I just want to remind you that Jim and I are a work in progress. And I, in my book, I outline the stages of recovery as climb, conquer, rest, restore. We're still, that, that's not linear. You don't just get to the end and they're like, oh, we made it. It's a mountain range, right? And um, so we, we climb a mountain and we're like, yes, look at this glorious view. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a valley again. So we are a work in progress. We're walking out recovery with other people, not showing them exactly how it's done. It's all together. Um, also, we are using a lot of sexual language today. So uh, one more disclaimer. There you go. All right. Um, and then uh, we are here to shed the shame and share hope because with Christ, there's hope. It doesn't matter the situation. If you experience a trigger today, for those of you who maybe have a sexual history of trauma or abuse, I just want to remind you this afternoon, maybe during the Chiefs game, do some self-care. You know, take a nap, eat a big, big gallon of ice cream, whatever it is you need to do, all right? Um, okay, so uh, before we begin, just three reminders of collectively what we want to do as a group. This is our challenge together. So I said this last week, one, enter humility and gentleness. That's the antidote to sexual dysfunction. 
Number two, explore natural curiosity. That means you, especially today, especially today, as we bust some myths, Jim is bringing it. But there may be conflicting beliefs going on inside your head. Sometimes even I still have that after five and a half years of talking about this all the time. It's still like I get this physical reaction like, wait a second, that's against everything I was ever taught. You may feel that too. But try to keep that gentleness and humility that keeps your heart open. Um, And then lastly, just embrace self-awareness, looking inward, not focusing on the person sitting next to you but focusing right here, all right? So we're going to start out by just some guided questioning with Jim. Everyone wants to hear from Jim today, right? Yeah, he's going to bring it. All right, so, um, so first of all, I know when Jim first disclosed to me, one of my first thoughts was, how was my husband addicted to porn for 17 years and I had no idea? So Jim, could you explain to everybody what sex addicts will do to hide the addiction, some Um, of the links they go to. Yeah, so um, we are master manipulators. We're master at um, lying. Um, That's just something that we've kind of um, developed through the years. Um, So I'll give you a few examples, but by all means, they're not like complete. Um, I would uh, erase my browser history I would use the private setting on the browsers. I'd have another window open, so whenever I heard footsteps or something, I'd be able to do a hotkey and flip it to the other screen until I felt like it was safe to be able to go ahead and close out that other window. Um, I would act like I was going to the restroom and act out in there, um, would even you know use a shower. Um, so, and, and wait for them to be gone, the family to be gone. Um, and we'll kind of hit on a myth uh, later on, like, does this affect if they don't know? Well, that's one thing. I would be looking forward to the, the family leaving so I could have a moment to, to do my thing. And so. that is part of the addiction cycle, the thinking of the next time when you can act out. Um, and so, on, and I also remember him telling me uh, in our recovery that he would purposely wait until he had sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. So something that he's doing now for my safety he, he can control what his eyes do now. He doesn't have that, that brain's desire or need to uh, objectify women, but he still just doesn't wear sunglasses, very rarely, if he's fishing. But he does that for my sake, not for his now, right? Because that was a way he acted out. So if he's wearing his glasses, it might spiral me like, oh, there's, a, there's somebody that I, you know, it just can, it's just a way for us to maintain safety in our relationship. But they're very good at compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. You, you pretty much have to when, yeah. you're, when you're doing that. Yeah. Um, on my end, I would say I didn't know because one thing I had to work on is how to, to learn how to be emotionally intimate with a man. So I did not know that. It was not modeled that growing up. I really didn't know I didn't know that. So once I was like, well, why wouldn't I know? How was I so disconnected? So that was an area of my life that I had to dig into in the recovery process as well. Okay, so question number two. When was your first exposure to porn? Um, I believe it was in seventh grade. Okay. Um, Did you ever think that getting married would solve your porn usage? I did. I thought once we were married, I'd be able to have sex whenever we wanted and 
how often and did it solve your porn usage obviously not yeah yeah so porn escalates over time that's why it's very dangerous to even dabble in it at all it, it'll escalate um, so where do you think that belief came from that when I get married all of these sexual things will just go away because I can have sex with my wife I think um, some of it I believe was was um, from the from stuff we had been taught in the church um, that you know we needed to wait until we were married and then once we were married it was I, I can't remember a specific example of this being said but it was implied that once you're married then you have it and can have it you know, whenever you want and that kind of a thing. Well, and also like in, in, in evangelical circles, in the teen years, you're hearing sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And so it's, it's just, in, you have that in there and you mm -hmm. have to kind of like, and then all of a sudden you're getting married and you're supposed to just be able to flip that little switch over, you know, and it's just, that's not real life. So we're trying to change the culture of changing, of, of teaching our teens, our kids, sex is good. It is so good when it's done in the context of God's design. It's beautiful and it's holy and it's celebrated. Um, so really changing that narrative that we grew up in. And I just have to add, I can't get into it and I would love to, but the purity culture of the 90s, my age, that's our age that grew up in that, and there is now loads of damaging results. Like they're seeing the results of that and how damaging and harmful it was. Um, for people to hear that women are in charge of men's lust problem and our bodies are dangerous, so we have to cover up. Very, very bad messaging. And I, I can't get into that, but here's a great book that really covers all of that. It's called The Great Sex Rescue. Highly recommend it because it will dive into some of the, the harmful teaching of sex in the evangelical community specifically, as well as Christian authors that are still being taught in churches today. So it really debunks a lot of that. So not only that real quick, yeah. um, it wasn't just the church. It was also, you know, the pornography as well. Cause that's, they're oh, basically yeah. always available to us. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, we get in this, um, mindset, like they are always like, available. yeah. in our, it's a fantasy in our mind that, that they're available. They want to, yeah. even though it's a picture. Or so whatever. basically it was like polarized. Yeah. Porn teaches you a terrible message, and the church taught you a terrible message, and we have to come and figure out God's healthy view of sexuality, so that's good. When did your occasional use of porn escalate? Uh, it was when I learned to masturbate and when the internet um, became available, and those were about the same time. So when, when that began, uh, would you say your external circumstances perhaps made you more vulnerable to gravitate to that. Absolutely. So uh, what, it, this is like a drug. It, it is basically a drug, the pornography and acting out. And so we use it to medicate um, pain inside or um, things that we, you know, emotional needs or whatever we need to escape. escape. It's yeah. an escape. Even boredom. It can be. That yeah. has, I've read that in a lot of data, that boredom can also be a trigger. So it's really important for, uh, teens and, and adults, male, female, whoever is looking at porn, to go back to your very first exposure. And when you, maybe not your first exposure, because some people look at it and then they're done, right? They're like, oh, that was bad. But if you return to it and just explore what was going on in my life that made me vulnerable 
to objectify other human beings because that's you are escaping something. And so that's why it usually takes a professional to help you dig into that and perhaps discover why. Yeah. Um, okay, what would you feel after acting out? Uh, I felt shame, guilt, kind of just dirty, and that it was unfulfilling. Okay, let's back it up. What would you feel before acting out? Um, desire, like... What know. would you feel during acting out? Um, excitement, you know. And then what did you feel after? Shame. Do you see the cycle? There's a cycle. Okay, so you're going right back around again. Um, and you had mentioned to me there was like three underlying emotions oh, yeah. attached, like belief systems attached yeah. to people who typically act out in porn. Can you tell me what those words are? Yeah, Covenant Eyes had a really good article, and they basically narrowed it down to three root um, ideas or, or beliefs. Um, one is hopelessness, uh, helplessness, and then worthlessness. Hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness. Let's all say that together. Hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness. So if you're feeling something right before you act out or whatever, generally you can like dig down and, and it gets down to one of those three feelings. Okay. Did porn increase your sexual satisfaction? No. Did it increase your sexual appetite? Yeah. Do you hear the two different words? Important to note. What was your greatest fear in disclosing to me your porn addiction? Uh, that I would lose you and the family and the pain that I would cause you. There were actually a couple. Um, and then um, also just being known, that the embarrassment of being known. What about your reputation? Yeah, Is that a fear? And something that we have talked about together about clergy um, disclosing is they lose their occupation many times. That adds a whole other layer of fear and why the latest stats, I think 57% of pastors are addicted to porn. I think that's important to note, but that's, that's a real fear. So if that was your fear and probably a reality that you would lose me and the kids and your reputation and all of that, what made you still follow through? That was after I, I gave my life over, total surrender. I feel like the whole, like it's, I just knew that that was what I needed to do. The Holy Spirit, I felt like he was, it was telling me that I had to do that. No matter what, I just needed, that was the right thing to do. So was there a sense of urgency to do that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so when you entered recovery, was saving the marriage like your main goal and focus? No. At that point, it was just I knew that I needed to get well um, myself, uh, healing, um, and to just not do that anymore, like to be okay. free of it. So to clarify that, would you say that before you told me, you had already sacrificed yeah. like the risk, like you were like, if she leaves me, I'm still going to yeah. be well. Yep. Yep. I think that's really important because especially in evangelical communities, we idolize marriage. We're so about saving the marriage, saving the marriage. And what we want you to hear is that Statistically, most marriages just don't stay together, but you can still get well. He can still get well, and I can still get well, and there can still be a glory story. It doesn't have to always mean your marriage is resolved. I know so many amazing women who are living their best life as single women because their husbands were not interested in recovery. And we want people to hear that message that no matter what, when Jesus was with the woman at the well, he didn't restore all her relationships. He restored her to himself. 
And I love that. I love that so much. So, um, And I would say for me, in recovery, that was my mindset as well. I can't take on his sobriety. I can't, there's nothing I can or cannot do to fix this. So I'm just going to stay in my lane. I'm going to address my trauma. I'm going to address my dysfunction, my family of origin trauma, all of it. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do the work I need. So if this were to work out, it will. Or if I eventually find another partner in life, that I'm coming into relationships with authenticity, transparency, with myself first, then with God and with others. Like you have to, yourself, you have to be real with yourself in order to be real with God and then with others. Okay, so have you, oh, has professional therapy helped you? Absolutely. It's been critical for me, for sure. Do you think that uh, it's like 100% you have to see a counselor in order to heal from sex addiction? Let's look at it black and white. Black and white? <laughs> I see this. That's I, opposite. Yeah, Usually. I mean, I, I see that it as a great issue. I think, I, honestly, for me, I think it was 100% I needed it. Um, I think it's probably going to take longer and be harder to be able to dig down because it would take an extreme amount of self-awareness. Absolutely, yeah. and, and most and, and most of the time, yeah. That. Like I, I, I would think that most of us as addicts are struggle at being able to dig down and, and feelings, like be able mm-hmm. to understand our feelings and stuff. So definitely, a therapist helps immensely with that. Yeah, and a, a therapist specific. I cannot talk today to sex addiction. So you want a certified sex addiction therapist, a CSAT. And then uh, for the spouses of sex addiction, someone who's trauma-informed. The time. The time. Uh, time. (laughs) He's already telling me time. Okay, have you relapsed? Uh, I have not, no. Okay, how how do I, what is a tool that I could use if I'm like, I don't know if I truly believe you, what's a tool that is standard amongst sex addiction recovery that couples can use? Do polygraphs. Yeah. Um, and you can go ahead and go to the first myth. Uh, polygraphs, we use a guy from the Blue Springs Police Department, and he's wonderful. So we have good resources in our community. Of, and if you go to my website, risetoheal.com, I have a blog about the polygraphs and the questions that they ask. And it's, wonder, it's a wonderful tool. It's not all we use, but it's just another tool. Okay, so we're going to address one of the biggest, if this is the only myth we got to today, it's it's going to be the foundational myth for all the other ones, really. So here we go. I'm going to let you answer this because everyone can be mad at you, not me. Uh, so myth number one, sex is a need. True or false? Um, I would say it's false. Okay. Can you explain? So this is something that I truly believed um, when I was acting out. I truly felt that it was an absolute need of mine. Um, and uh, part of the recovery process, um, I had to do a 90-day fast, and that wasn't just from porn. That was any kind of a, um, sexual whatever that caused my brain, like any kind of chemical-like excitement in my brain. So I had to completely be um, intentional and like, um, like not watching movies, even TV, things for me, and, and it might be specific to individuals, but for me, like even music, um, I had to literally just be super intentional for 90 days, and yeah, and that helped me realize that I did not need it. it, it it's a desire, but it's not a need. Good choice of words. Sex is a desire, but it's not a need. You don't need sex to survive. Yeah. 
And so the 90-day fast helped him bust that myth. That was a very good one to bust. Okay, so what I've heard a pastor say, we have heard a pastor say, that sex is a legitimate need, but porn is an illegitimate way of meeting that need. So are you telling me that that is false? Yes, I say that's false. All right. Whew, got that cleared out of the way. <laughs> That's a big one. Okay, number two. My wife is biblically mandated to meet my sexual needs. Yeah, so, I, I mean, that's another thing that I think that we've been kind of taught is that, um, and, and I, I believe that that's kind of been distorted from oh, that yes. passage with Paul. Um, that That is, that, uh, I can't think of the, can you help me? I don't know. It's just, just, just been that, distorted. Yeah, it's, it's that scripture distorted. has been distorted, and you might need to do a deep dive of your own to really understand that passage. Um, okay, so myth number three: sex addiction reveals a marriage problem. Yeah. So this this is something that for for me at least, um, like it it started way before the marriage even, and um, even if there's a, a you know not the marriage isn't going well, it's still our choice to do this. Um, we don't have to do that. It's not like, um, it, it's our, it's our own choice to do that. And yeah. um, it's not a marriage problem. Yeah. It's a person problem. Yeah. We can, we can have bad marriages and still not do it. And this is a myth that's still very prevalent in communities because as you know, when a couple goes to clergy, they go to marriage counseling. It's not a marriage problem though. It's, he's got to get sober and in a recovery, right? So you, marriage counseling comes later if you want to try to reconcile the marriage, but you, you got to get your stuff worked out first. Okay, next myth. Um, if a woman has more sex, loses weight, stops nagging, is a domestic goddess or whatever fill in the blank he desires, she can control his sex addiction. True or false? Uh, false. I yeah, that's false. And this is an important message because for one, uh, sex addicts blame everybody else. That's, so they're looking externally of why I'm acting out. And number two, women have a lot of pressure. We've been conditioned to think we are in charge. And the purity culture, that is a res, one result of that, is that we're in charge of men's lust. And lust is in the heart. That's why the, Jesus said, if you've committed adultery in your heart, pluck out your eye or something like that. When was that passage? I'm probably totally butchering it. But... That verse that, you know, he who, you know, if you commit adultery, well, if you've done it in your heart, yeah. he's looking at the heart. Um, and that's not something I can fix in him, right? Okay, next one. This is a big one. This one makes people get a little fidgety. Mm -hmm. Porn is not infidelity. True or false? I say it's false. Um, so I want to approach this with love. So when... When I didn't tell Misty, there was a reason for it. Um, it was more than just not telling her that I went out and spent something behind her back. Um, it was much deeper than that. And I, I think that it's something that I don't, it, it could be maybe the Holy Spirit kind of saying, like speaking inside. It also is just naturally, I think we have that knowledge that, that sex in general is so powerful, not only like to relationships, emotions, it's a super powerful um, thing. And so, um, anyway, um, I'm losing, it's okay. losing my track here. I mean, I think a better question or myth to like listen to is does porn break the marriage covenant? Yeah. To me, that feels a little more, I can align with that a little better. 
Um, but uh, ask your spouse if they think it yeah. feels like infidelity when you're acting out sexually with a screen. Just ask them. Yeah, see we, what they if, say. if we as the, the acting out people um, put ourselves, like try to switch roles. Have and empathy. S- empathy, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what it would be like for the other person. I think that if we're honest, we would see that that's probably... Okay, we're going to flip to the next one because I have like one minute and then we're going to go to the last slide. The next one is a big one in Christian circles because a lot of Christian men, and again, genders, we know they can be different, okay? I said that last week, so we're sensitive, but we're talking to our main audience, okay? Um, but in, in Christian circles, Christian men know porn is wrong. They, they morally know it's not God's design, right? So they start to justify other behaviors. So this is myth number six. It's okay to act out my sexual fantasies on my partner or masturbate as long as I'm thinking about her. So what's, what's your answer to that? Um, what, I, I would say that's false. Um, and I'll just give an example. So... Um, Back before I, I actually um, started recovery, I think the longest I went was about three months, um, like just not doing anything. And we call that white knuckling. White knuckling, yeah. Mm-hmm. Doing it on our own power, trying just to, out of our own uh, strength. strength, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when my daughter had a medical issue. I felt like God was punishing me for it. And um, so eventually I told myself, you know, if I'm thinking about my wife when I'm doing it, that's okay. And it just was the beginning to just going right back to it. And I think that that, in, in my mind, I would imagine that's probably the case for pretty much all addicts. Yeah. Is my well, guess. and God's design for sexuality with your partner is mutuality, coming together yeah. in mutuality and full consent. When you're masturbating and fantasizing, she loses her voice. Where's her voice in that? You're, there's no accountability for you to come into the relationship in authenticity and transparency and working with your partner. It's a partnership. Um, so she loses her voice, and you're still in full control. There's a power imbalance there because you get to control what she does, the outcome, all of it. And that's not God's design. Sexuality, our, sex with our partner should be the fruit of an emotionally intimate relationship already established. And we have flip-flopped that. We think we have sex to connect, but we have, in God's version of sex, we're having sex because we're already connected. And you're gonna lose all of that with masturbation and fantasizing about your partner. However, I will say, we, there are some gray. Like I've, I've talked with a, a couple where there was a medical issue, but the couple came together and mutuality, and they came up with a plan, they talked through it, they got counseling with it, totally different than what we're implying in this slide. Okay, so, Real quick, yeah. um, it's also about giving and receiving. It's, yes. It's, it's, yes. That is more of a selfish act, in my opinion. Good time to so. highlight another yeah. book. Uh, this book uh, really helped us transform our sexuality. It's called When Two Become One by the McCluskeys. Really, really good book on losing the traditional mountain diagram where orgasm is the peak. This, like, takes all that and changes it. Oops, sorry. All right, so let's go now to the last slide. I'm doing good, Marta. Okay, I'm doing good. Okay, so it's not possible to live in true victory over sex addiction and objectification. True or false? I'm sorry, I was completely zoned out, and I have no idea what you just said. It's not possible. Keeping it real, peeps. Keeping it real. It's not possible to live in victory. 
over. It, it's absolutely possible. And, um, but it's, it's, an, it's an intentional thing. It takes um, the Holy Spirit. It takes uh, a group like um, a support group. Support group. It takes, um, uh, it takes a village. A village, yeah. It takes a village. Yeah. So like Professional counseling. Yeah. Yes. And we just want to remind you that like, recovery is possible, but it's a lot of mountains. And for the spouse coming up behind that, you're taking on their baggage as well as your own. And it's a process to work all of that out. But with Christ, he gives us the power to do the hard things. And grace for me meant living in power and freedom to do what we needed to do in our recovery process. Thank you for having us. Hey, guys. There's a card for you. Hey, thank you so much, you guys. Um, I know there's so much more. I think that was the first time I heard some of those words in this room. But we warned you. Um, there's a lot here. This is something that is not, um, you know, an overnight deal. And um, I hope, and betrayal doesn't always happen, happen in a marriage. I'm having trouble here. Um, with just pornography or sex, there's a lot of different kinds of betrayal. So I know that there are people out there sitting, listening at home or sitting here that, that are struggling and feeling a lot right now. So um, as she said, sit with it, do some self-care, feel it all the way through, talk to her friend. Um, especially, we always, always, always uh, encourage a therapist. So um, we have some good Christian therapists. And if you want to talk to Jim and Misty after it, or get their book, um, their book for a donation of $5 or whatever you guys want to donate, it'll go to one of the One Life initiatives that um, benefit women. So uh, make sure that you grab that, get more information from them. Uh, there's lots of resources, friends. This is not just something that we wanted to leave you on, on a note that's difficult and heavy, but something that's hopeful, and I think they did that. So thanks, guys. Amen.